Let's go to the book of Matthew. As this is the last Sunday before Vision Sunday, uh, the Lord laid a burden on my heart that I trust will, will lead well into the message on Sunday. And this was not what I was planning to preach tonight, uh, but I, I, I trust this is what God has for us. Um, I also had planned at the end of tonight to give a demonstration orientation on Slack because we use that app. <clears throat> Excuse me, I can't talk. <clears throat> we use that app for our communication, uh, and so some folks had questions and so forth. It depends on what happens with this message. If this message goes too far, forget the Slack thing. We'll do it later. But if, uh, if we can land the plane, then we'll do the Slack orientation. Um, I know a lot of you have had questions. How many of you had questions about that Slack app? Okay, a few of you. All right. Uh, so if we don't do it tonight, we will do it sometime soon so that we're all on the same page and can use that. It is a blessing to have that tool where we can give prayer requests and communicate and keep in touch with one another. Uh, so we'll see how it goes tonight. All right, Matthew chapter 12. The Bible says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were in hunger, <clears throat> and, and he began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which, not, which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. In other words, he's saying, the reason you're condemning these guiltless disciples for eating some corn is because you don't know what it means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day, and when he was departed thence, he went into the synagogue. <clears throat> and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, is, is it, wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he saith to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Would you have liked to have been there and seen that? I would love to have seen that. Can you imagine this withered hand, and all of a sudden, there it is. Everything works, you know, and instantaneously he's playing violin or whatever. I don't know about that, but hey, it worked. 
Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them all. Back to verse 13 and 14. Look at these two verses on the screen or in your Bible in front of you. These two verses together, it's such, it's such a paradox to see these two verses together. On the one hand, you have the guy stretching forth his hand, and it's restored whole. And the immediate response to it is, let's go outside and figure out how to destroy this guy. Come on, bring it in, fellas. Bring it in. What are we going to do? He's healing people. We can't have that. I mean, what are we going to do? He can't go around here healing every withered hand. We'll run out of cripples. You know, Uh, what is the world coming to? Now, I I read this with my wife And uh, we were just sitting on the couch together by our, our uh, potbelly stove, which it's a good thing to have a potbelly stove this time of year with this kind of weather. My dog lays there. The kids sit there. Everyone's like around this potbelly stove. But we were reading, and I read this, and I just had to say out loud, who does this? Like, it, would be, it would be just so amazing if I could have been there to see it. Every single one of us, what would we give for one trip in a time machine back to this moment or moments like this, just to, you know, put on a a hood and get in the crowd and just watch and see how this whole thing goes down. But to see this response, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem, it doesn't even seem possible. And so I was talking to my wife and I just kind of went off on a rant you ever do that? I'm just like, what in the world? It just, it made me mad. And my wife listened and she went, okay, well, I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> yeah. And she went on to do whatever she was doing. And I sat there on the couch and then the Lord began to bring things to my mind where I had done this, where I have done this. Because my question was, who, who does this? That right there. Who sees a hand restored and then your response to it is to go out, call a council how you can destroy the guy who restored the hand. What kind of sick person does this? And the Lord began to show me scenes in my mind of who does this and it was me. And so that was not what I was expecting. I'll be honest with you right there. But it helped me to see some things that I want to bring to you. And the message this this evening is just simply called the Pharisee in me. And I think there is, because of our flesh, a Pharisee in all of us. And when we look at a passage like this, it's so easy to stand in judgment These guys are so obviously wrong. Furthermore, the Pharisees all the way through the New Testament are just the easiest guys to hate. (laughs) They're the easiest guys to pick on. They are just the easiest. Because even John the Baptist went off on them. Jesus, one chapter over, he's about to go off on them. 
Matthew 23, if you don't know anything about Matthew 23, it basically has to do with scribes and Pharisees are a bunch of hypocrites. Okay? Well, <clears throat> sometimes when you're getting incensed at other people's sin, God says, enough about them, what about you? The truth of the matter is, none of, us, none of us in here are going to be any better for our ability to pick holes in the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Nobody gets any brownie points for that. Nobody's more spiritual for that. But if you are able to draw some parallels to your own life, that's what we can really see God begin to grow us and help us. I remember graduating from Bible college with all the zeal and energy and hunger of any young Bible graduate um, still maturing, still working some things out. Sometimes there's a zeal without knowledge. Sometimes a young Bible college graduate can be a little bit dangerous, but thank God for his mercy. But I remember there was a group of college students, I knew all of them, who went overseas to the Philippines. And we began to hear outrageous stories of what was going on. Literally thousands of people were coming to the gospel rallies that my friends were a part of. Uh, Brother John would know all the people I'm talking about. They were over with Mike Reddick. Mike Reddick would take them from school to school to school. And the stuff that we were hearing of was just, I'd never heard about it. I've never, I'd never heard of it before. They were going into public schools. They were being offered to go classroom to classroom, come in. The teachers would stop whatever they were doing and just ask them to teach the gospel. And they'd preach the gospel in a classroom, a history class or whatever it was. And then they'd give an invitation and kids would get saved. Then you go to the next one and the next one. And then they would invite them out to these big evening rallies. And the kids would come by the droves, and it was thousands of them. And then they'd go to the next city, and then the next city, and the next city. And um, I learned later that they they'd planted churches from that event. And as I, as I understand, there are still churches there that were started in the wake of of that whole move through the public schools. Phenomenal. I saw emails, I saw updates, I heard reports and so forth. But I remember discovering, and here I'm just going to be totally blunt, this is where I was at. I was very, very true to what I saw was my values and, and my sets of rules and my systems all of us had just graduated, and sometimes uh, Bible college students, um, it takes them a while to figure out that the rule book and this book are actually not one and the same. Rule books aren't bad. They have their place, but a rule book is not a thus saith the Lord. And uh, I think many college students with a sensitive heart and maybe a, a sensitive conscience they don't, they don't understand that. And, and so a demerit means I sinned. Not necessarily you were late to class, all right? That's not necessarily a sin. There could be some sin issues involved with why you were late to class. But sometimes, you know, college students can get all hung up on the legal system and the rule book. 
and doing everything right. And so I was watching this revival from the state side and hearing of things and watching video of the thing and, 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 and pictures and so forth. And I began to realize there's a lot of things that the college students are doing that do not fit the rule book. Now, if you want to know what rules were violated, we can talk about that later. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Uh, if I said it all, some of you would laugh. Some of you would be confused. <laughs> okay. I'll just say it was different. They were in a different culture with national missionaries, with different churches, and not everything is the same. Okay? There's a lot of things that just aren't the same. I remember that was a real stumbling block for me. And I began to get incensed. You know, these are, these are Bible college students. They ought to know what they believe. And they're, they're breaking rules. And uh, this is wrong. What do we got, hypocrites? Or are they, just, are they just soft? Not one to stand, you know? And I had all these things going on in my mind. And I, I tell you, I had some conversations. I, I, uh, I, when they came home, I remember sitting a couple of those guys down. And we went head to head, nose to nose. And I grilled them for not doing what I thought was right. I remember having a long-distance phone call with David O'Gorman. <laughs> he was very gracious with me. And I remember also calling um, someone who was still over in Philippines. I called all the way to the Philippines. I think the girl was in Singapore by that time. It might have been a Singapore call. Uh, poor girl. But I, I, I wanted to call and, and get something straight. And why were you doing this? And what about that? And, you know, there are things that are important about our rules and our rule books and our structures and our systems. Don't get me wrong. But I remember I totally threw out that whole revival, whatever, I, whatever it was, I, I thought this thing can't be everything it's cracked up to be because look at what's going on. Look at this compromise. Look at this break of the rule. Look at this breach. Look, these things are not adding up. This can't be of God. And even if it is of God, I'm just not comfortable with it. It doesn't fit my system. Now, how stupid did that just sound? Even if it is of God, I'm not comfortable with it. That sounds really dumb because it is dumb, okay? We get very used to certain things that are just, it's just our comfort zone and, and there's reasons for why sometimes we become so rigid, but the difficulty, or I shouldn't say the difficulty, the unfortunate reality can be we can miss out on what God really is doing at a given time. And if you go back and put the 13 and 14 up there again, the healing happens. The counsel is the response to it. Let's destroy him. Then verse 15. Jesus figured out what they were doing because, you know, Jesus is smarter than us. And he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. We started off with one guy stretching out his hand. 
And just a little bit later, we have great multitudes all being healed. And it wasn't just hands. Hands and feet and eyeballs and everything that ached. You know, it was something else. It was multitudes of people who were coming to Jesus and something real was happening. And this was epic, as the teens would say. It's epic. And all the while, there were some people who stood off in a council saying, nah, but he didn't do that right. Sabbath day. Am Am I wrong? Tell me where I'm wrong. It was a Sabbath day. You're right, Malachi, or whatever his name is, you know. You're sure right. It's a Sabbath day. And what about the Torah of this and the Torah of that and blah, blah, blah. And they had all of their echo chamber to applaud them and help them and confide, uh, uh, compliment them and, and reassure them that they were right. But the irony of it all is that there is a healing party going on within spitting distance and they didn't have any part in it. There were a lot of scenes that went through my mind that moment when I sat on the couch and ranted to my wife about, who does this? Who does this? And then the Lord just began to, I don't know where it came from. It must have come from the Holy Spirit. It just happened as the Lord showed me who does this? And I wrote down more, but then it would feel like a confessional booth. <laughs> I'll just say it was a lot of scenes that rolled through my mind. And it wasn't of anybody else, by the way. The Lord showed me me. And where I had been, where I had allowed the Pharisee in me to pull me away from real moves of God, real touches of God. You know, we're not the first to cry foul about somebody not doing something our way. Go all the way back to Numbers 11, and you've got this Moses story. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other, Medad. And the Spirit rested on them, and they were of them that were written, but but went not out unto the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp... This is, this is in the context of a great move of God where the Spirit's being poured out and there's prophecy going on and these guys were a part of it, but they did it a little bit different. <laughs> they didn't go to the tabernacle with everybody else. They were prophesying in the camp. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to do that. Nobody else is doing it. Supposed to be with everybody else at the tabernacle. Can't be walking around prophesying in the camp, Eldad and Medad, what's wrong with you guys? And so there ran a young man named John Barber. Oh, oh, no. Uh, there ran a young man, and I bet you I know exactly who this guy was because I've been this guy. He, he loves the Lord. He's young and full of zeal. He's read every missionary biography he can get his hand on. He wants to see God work. He wants to do it the right way. He really is hungry for the power of God. His motives are mostly pure, but there is a little bit of self in there that keeps getting in the way. He hates it. He keeps fighting against it, but the self just keeps on getting in there. But he also struggles, this fella here who ran and told Moses, this guy also struggles with 
the fear of man and man-pleasing. And he's not stupid. He's been around a while. He's, he's been around a while to, to learn how to play the game if you want to play the game. And, you know, you don't want to be on Moses' bad side. You know, bring him coffee, bring him tea. If he likes two lumps of sugar, give him two and a half, you know, sweeten it up. Uh, and he, he, if he can go get in with Moses, maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be somebody. You know what? We're all human, and we all deal with human things, and the human things get mixed in with the spiritual things, and it takes a move of the Holy Spirit to shake that out every, while, every once in a while. And this young guy, and it doesn't say much about him, but I really feel like I know him, this young man runs and told, told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. He doesn't get the answer that he thought. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. So Moses, he's looking out, sorry, Joshua, he's looking out for Moses. Moses has something else to say. Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. That is a great perspective. But wait a minute, we don't know if all these people are vetted. We don't know if all these people are trustworthy. Wait, 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 wait. but they have the spirit, right? Didn't the spirit rest upon them? Didn't we read that somewhere? The spirit rested upon them. So if this is the Lord... If this, is, if this is the Spirit, well, wait a minute, I don't know if we can trust them to the Spirit. Can we trust the Spirit with them? You know, sometimes we do this kind of thing. We, it's hard for us to let go on everybody and everything that we care about. We don't just let go and say, do whatever you want. God's given us leadership. God's given us uh, accountability and authority and there's structure and so forth. But you know what? I'm with Moses on this one. If I got to be the only person who preaches the word, Lord, come today. Let's just be done. I need help. I want help. Moses wanted help. And why not have other people who have the Spirit of God resting on them and letting God work through them? And he says, don't envy for me. This isn't about me. It's never been about me. Now, that's what the young guy hasn't yet figured out. There's still a little bit probably in him wanting to be that guy with the news for Moses. And Moses, by the way, I'm always here for you anytime. Here's my card. You know, I'll do anything you want. But Moses is over it. He's been that young guy. He thought he could do it all. He had the young zeal and everything else. He slew a man. And next thing you know, he's running for his life 40 years on the backside of a desert. And when he thinks that God has absolutely forgotten about him and he's ready to check out and go to glory, God says, Nope, not so fast. You aren't dying on me yet. Now I'm ready to use you. You're over yourself. You're over your pride. You're over your uh, self-dependence. And now I can use you. And so Moses, he isn't, he, he's not worried about how this affects him. Envious thou for my sake? Forget it. Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. 
And that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Oh, that God would do that. And oh, that we would trust people with the Holy Spirit. We have to do that. I have to do it as a pastor. Mark 9 is another similar verse. Mark 9, 38, John answered him and saying, Master, we saw one man casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth us not. Uh-oh, who are these rebels doing good works in God's name without doing it our way? Shame on them. And we forbade them because he followeth not us. Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly, lightly speak evil of me. Think this through, guys. What are you doing? He that's not against us is on our part. And as they would say today, if you think in emojis, that's the emoji, okay, mind blown. The guy's like, what just happened here? People are allowed to like serve the Lord and not be absolutely lockstep with us? But wait a minute, where's this going to go? Who's going to get the credit? Like, wait, 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 but what? But we won't know what's going on. How will we count the numbers? How will we account? Ah, we're losing control. Great. It wasn't yours anyways. It was the Lord's. Don't stress it. You know, there's a little Pharisee in all of us, and even this disciple right here, his little inner Pharisee popped up. And even though he was privy to devils being cast out, his response was, stop. Now, we forbid you to do this. Walk over to Jesus. Did I do good? Did I do good? I'm telling you, I know what that's like inside and out. And it makes absolutely no sense, except it does make sense when you see that this is when self has really crept in much more than you want to admit. A couple things about the, oh man, it's 7.45. Well, forget the whole slack demonstration. We'll do that later. A couple things here. The Pharisee in me is more consumed with my system than my Savior. Pharisee in me is more consumed with my system than my Savior. Now, folks, I'm not against systems. I had systematic theology in college. I'm glad for it because the Bible's a thick book. And it's nice when you have a professor help you out in a book and it puts all the stuff about salvation in this chapter. That's nice. And you turn the chapter and it's everything about angels and demons in one chapter. Hey, that's good. Turn the chapter again, you've got everything about bibliology. That's what we call systematic theology. We're, 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 we're looking at things as they group together. We're grouping things together in ways that they make sense. And we're, we're trying to see what's subservient to what and how do we teach this and how do we retain it. There's nothing wrong with systematizing things, but the system must be subservient to the Lord Jesus. The system sometimes becomes its own monster. Systems have created their own theologies. 
Systems have come up with all kinds of error. Systems are not wrong, but they must be servants of the Savior. Systems also cannot and must not put God in a box. Everything has to be so tidy. Even at our ordination councils, we want everything to be so tidy. But it's just not that tidy. Pastor Drew, Drew did a good job at his ordination council. Every now and then you get a tough question. You know what? It's okay if you don't have a great answer for every tough question because it's, it's not all that tidy. Not everything goes in a, in a perfect box. And I'll tell you this. Any system that limits God is out of line. Boxes are for our convenience. They help us to think through things. But you need to hold them humbly <clears throat> and hold them loosely. God likes to break the box. And when Jesus walked through the corn and ate the corn, folks, he broke the box. And then when he took out, uh, when he told the guy to stretch out his hand, he broke the box. He didn't break the Bible. No, he was still within the spirit of everything in this book, even the law. He makes that clear about mercy and sacrifice. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll come back to the mercy and sacrifice thing. He didn't break the Bible. Systems provide comfort. They provide consistency. They they provide familiarity. Systems are, are, are repeatable and transmittable and reproducible. And they give us things to, to rally around, you know, easily. You know, we all have our T-shirts and we all have our mantras. And, and systems are just so easy for us. But we become loyal to the system and we become in love with the system. And the system sometimes replaces the relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you consumed with your system or are you consumed with Jesus? <clears throat> Are you able to see what he's doing in a given situation even when it's different? The Pharisee in me is more consumed with my system than my Savior, but also the Pharisee in me is easily threatened by the thought of losing control. You know, Pharisees are very, very fearful people. Healings on the Sabbath? (gasps) Wait a minute. Healings on the Sabbath? Where's this going to go from here? (laughs) What's going to be next? This is a slippery slope, brother. Before you know it, you know, who knows where this is going to go? Okay, but hang on. Hang on. You know, we would be thinking, everyone's going to start dishonoring the Sabbath. Was Jesus in love with his father? Yes. I do always those things that please him. He was not trying to, to dishonor his father. He was not even dishonoring the Sabbath. He was showing, I'm getting ahead of myself. I keep doing this. But the mercy and sacrifice part, showing mercy is a great way to honor God on the Sabbath. It is worship. Someone says, oh, well, he was working. He, was work- he wasn't working any more than the priests were working. Isn't that what he said? The priests profane the Sabbath every day. They're fine. Well, they're not work- working. They're worshiping. That's what I'm doing. And you would understand it if you knew what mercy and sacrifice is. 
And so we are so afraid. We're afraid of where something might go. We're afraid of what somebody might say. We're afraid of another Pharisee saying that we're becoming soft. We're afraid of another Pharisee writing us up in his monthly journal and saying, oh, how the mighty have fallen. There goes Brother Barber. We're insecure and we're fearful. You know, if, if, if this happens and the Pharisees let Jesus heal on the Sabbath, what, what if they don't need us anymore? What if they don't need us Pharisees anymore? You know what? That's not all bad. <laughs> if I put myself in, you know, what, if God does all this in your life, maybe you won't need a pastor anymore. Praise the Lord. <laughs> no. no, I'm fine with being a pastor as long as God wants me to do it. But it's not all bad if people are going straight to Jesus and getting what they need. But what about me? It wasn't about you. It wasn't about Moses. Pharisees are desperate to maintain absolute control. Healings are nice, but not at the price of losing control. They're not. Healings are unnecessary. Obeying the law is necessary. Unfortunately, the Pharisees were full of fear about losing control and security because they were unacquainted with resting faith and abiding peace and being secure in Christ's love. Thirdly, <clears throat> the Pharisee in me is often allowing for myself that which I will not allow for another. We read it. He says, you guys have sheep, don't you? Verse 11. What man shall there be among you that shall have a sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he lay hold on it and lift it out? You notice how nobody responds? Nobody responds. So Jesus does it for him. How much better then is a man than sheep? It is unthinkable that they would rescue their sheep on the Sabbath day, but they would not rescue a soul. They were hypocrites. They would spare their sheep on the Sabbath, but not allow a man to be healed on the Sabbath. You know, part of the reason for that is very simply this. Well, of course I'd do that to my sheep. That was my sheep. How, how is it always different for me, for us? We're so easy on ourselves, but boy, we stick it to everybody else. Hypocrisy is a hallmark of Phariseeism. They have no problem with David eating the showbread. No problem at all. But they do have a problem with Jesus Christ doing it and his his, his young men doing it. David was an exception. But Jesus and his disciples were out of line. That can't be an exception. Why? Well, there's, there's no answer to that. None given. In Matthew 23, I was going to mention this somewhere. I don't know where I put it. I don't see it. But in Matthew 23, <clears throat> Jesus rebukes the Pharisees eight times. He calls them scribes and Pharisees hypocrites eight times. 
just nails them. They would allow for themselves what they would not allow for another. Number four, a Pharisee, the Pharisee in me is very impressed by sacrifices but sees mercy as compromise. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. They said, you guys don't understand. Let me give you this explanation from a fellow I read this afternoon. He writes, God prefers an act of mercy shown to those in need to any act of religious worship to which the person might be called at that time. Both are good, but the former is greater good and should be done in preference to the other. Mercy is better than sacrifice. Don't just come in, sing your songs to the Lord, and offer your offering if someone is, is having a heart attack next to you, or, whatever, or less than that. Someone needs something. I can't believe it. I came to church to worship God, and this guy in the lobby had a need and asked me on my way to worship Jesus. The nerve. You realize that you are worshiping Jesus more by helping that guy in the lobby on your way in than you are coming here and singing a stuffy song that your heart is not in because you're full of self. He writes, secondly, that the whole sacrificial system was intended only to point out the infinite mercy of God to the fallen man and his redemption by the blood of the new covenant. Everything they were doing on the Sabbath was supposed to demonstrate God's merciful. So then how in the world would you not do a merciful act on the Sabbath? It doesn't make sense. But it does make sense if you have a human system that has taken over. He writes, thirdly, that we should not rest in sacrifices, but look for the mercy and salvation prefigured by them. This saying was nervously translated by, translated by our ancestors. I will, uh, I will mind I will mild heartedness and not sacrifice. I will mild heartedness and not sacrifice. God wants mercy. And everything we're doing... For others, Jesus said, is for him, even a cup of cold water in my name, to another is for him. Matthew 9, 11 says, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? This is the story where Jesus was sitting with publicans and sinners. But when Jesus heard that, he said, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you see? He mentions this idea of mercy and sacrifice twice, and both times he tells them, you don't know what this means. And the truth of the matter is, I remember after Bible college going into evangelism, and struggling through things. And I remember being confronted with this verse by my friend. And he said, go learn what that meaneth. He said it in the King James Version. 
And I thought, I think I will because I have no idea what it's talking about. Just, whew. But that was very helpful for me. I went and studied, and a whole message came out of that, and a whole pilgrimage has come out of that. I'm not saying I've gotten everything I need to get out of it, but God has begun to show me the Pharisee in me. Pharisees are not merciful. They cannot be merciful because their system is law-based. And, and the law is not mercy. The law is judgment. There's no mercy in the law. So Pharisees see mercy as compromise. They don't understand mercy. But God is love and justice and mercy and forgiveness. Pharisees are meritorious. They're proud of their own sacrifices and very impressed by them, and sometimes threatened by others. Oh, his sacrifice is bigger than mine. This is unfortunate, but the Pharisee in me is very impressed by sacrifices, but sees mercy as compromise. And finally, and this is the worst bit, the Pharisee in me misses out on the healing. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Now, I'm not trying to make more of this than what is there, but it's very picturesque. Jesus withdrew himself from thence. The very people who felt that they were the closest to God for everything that they were doing, all their systems and their structures. I know why I couldn't find it in my notes. It's in my notes for Sunday. It's a couple things that are going to be in Sunday. I was looking at them here and it's not there. So come back Sunday. They had 613 laws. Why? Because 10 weren't enough. And they didn't just have the Torah. They had the oral tradition that they passed down. So do we, in some respects. The bottom line is these were broken men. These were men who had a hunger, but were getting the wrong answers to meet their need. These were men who needed healing themselves. They needed heart healing. They needed faith healing. In other words, their faith was broken. They needed to heal their faith. They were full of unbelief. These guys needed to be over and see that great multitude healed. All of them. But Jesus withdrew from them. Now, our New Testament theology, we know that he's always with us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But there is a sense of distance that comes when pride takes hold of our lives. And I don't mean that God leaves us. I don't mean that. But I mean this. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God is right here with you. He'll never leave you He'll no, nor forsake you. He's right there with you, loving you all the way through with his arms around you, yet resisting your pride. In that sense, and only in that sense, I would say that God withdraws from us in that sense, not in his presence or his love. Because of our pride, 
and we miss the healing, and we condemn the very ones who found it. Why? You didn't do it right. You didn't do it our way. You broke 612, rule, rule 612 out of 613 or whatever. You know, a lot of Pharisees <clears throat> are very zealous. And the more they hurt and the more they're broken and the more they need healing, they channel all that brokenness and all of the energy of the turmoil into a doubling down on the Phariseeism. Oftentimes. I'm just going to hit it harder. I'm just going to be more vigilant and I'm going to be more in everybody else's grill and we'll get there, we'll get this. And the more we try, the further we get from his healing. While very much in need of healing, the Pharisee will not see it because the healing has to fit into his system perfectly. You know what, friend? If every time God wanted to touch you, it always made perfect sense and it always fit in your system perfectly, if that was the case, you and me would take the credit for it. We'd get proud, and God wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't like that. He is all committed to his systems, but he will miss the very thing he built his system to produce, and that was a close relationship with God. Those who follow Jesus will be healed. Praise God for the ones that followed him. Great multitude followed him. And that wasn't easy, folks. They followed him against the counsel of the Pharisees. They followed him knowing they could be put out of the synagogue. They followed him knowing there was a price to pay. But they looked about them and they said, you guys who have it all together, Pharisees, don't have what we want. We want Jesus. We want healing. We want something real. And so they went after him and were condemned in doing so. But it was worth it. In my life, I'm asking God to just show me, reveal that part of me. Call it out so that I can deal with it. Pharisees hurt people. Pharisees do not point people to Jesus. Pharisees condemn. Pharisees have no joy. Pharisees have no answers. I'm asking God to help me with that. I'm asking God to help our church with it. I want us to know the healing that only Jesus gives. This is kind of a precursor to Sunday's sermon, and then next Wednesday we'll get into this in much more depth. I'm really, of the three messages, I'm most burdened for next Wednesday. But, uh, folks, I, I just know this is something that God wants to liberate us from if we're going to really have fellowship, sweet fellowship with Jesus. We've got to deal with this pride. Final, final thoughts here. Don't be quick to judge the Pharisees. God put them in the Bible to reveal your own heart needs. So let the Pharisees point to those and be quick to judge that. Don't be more in love with your system than you are with your Savior. And dare to embrace the mercy and healing of Jesus Christ. 
I trust we'll see more about that on Sunday. The healing, the mercy, the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us and your love. Thank you for your perfect balance of mercy and truth, justice and grace. I pray, Lord, that you'd reveal in us any hint of this Pharisee within us. Our intentions may be zealous, but we need to know, is it of you? I pray, God, you give wisdom. We don't want to just throw out something that is good that you've led us to, but we want to be biblically balanced. We don't want to miss a move of God. We want to be humble. That's really the bottom line here. Lord, keep us humble. Help us, Lord, as we continue to look to you. Take a moment as the piano plays just for a moment. Take a moment to talk to the Lord. Lord, give us graciousness, give us humility, give us wisdom and the faith to follow you, the wisdom to heed your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.